Hello, welcome back to The Full Life. This is going to be a really good show today. We have an awesome guest, and we're talking about something I think that's affecting everyone in this time, from the coronavirus to the social unrest to the political climate. I think there's something to worry about for everybody, let alone our normal daily things that we have to worry about. So we're going to talk about just that, worry. And I'm going to bring in our panel to start our discussion. But first, we're going to do some thanks. We're going to start with some mana moments before we get down to this worry. We need some thanks, too. Welcome back, Carolyn, Hank, and Jenny. Woo! Hello, hello. Hey, everyone. Looking forward to today's show. I think we yes. need this. <laughs> Amen, we do. Yes. And we hope you get something out of this. All right. So anyone, ha let's start with Hank this week. Mana moments. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest one for me was um, this past Sunday, I've been working through the fruit of the spirit. And so I preached on gentleness, which is very tricky um, normally, but especially in this season. What does it mean to to be Christ-like and gentleness? And I actually revisited the story with, um, uh, we usually grew up hearing about the woman caught in adultery, but I found one writer who said, actually, it's the men caught in hypocrisy. And I love that way better. Um, so I came from that level and just looking at how Jesus um, centers the woman, but he's gentle with his love. And even though he says, go and sin no more. And so honestly, since this whole thing started, I've probably gotten more feedback from that sermon, um, which is probably the one I was most worried about in the sense of like, I just don't know if this will hit. You know, I don't know if people get this. I don't know if this is a stretch, you know, um, but it's just been really, really encouraging to see people, especially I think in this climate and this season, go back to realizing that like a lot of times we say speak the truth in love and we're very bitter or angry or, or upsetting about mm. it instead of gentle and Christ-like and, and focusing on the person, um, not forgetting the person for our truths, you know? So I just think it was, um, it was a blessing to me just seeing different people just really get encouraged and then send encouragement my way, which is a beautiful way I think the body is supposed to work. Carolyn? I love that, Hank. I, we, I, I keep saying every week, I'm coming online. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to watch you. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago that we had prayed, been praying for a year to get my son this special thing that he needed for his test. Well, 11th hour, it happened, got the phone call. They agreed to it, said yes. He went in Saturday for his test and just nailed it. And so I have to be honest, this house has been doing praise the Lord session. Because when you go for a year hearing no, 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 um, and just walking out on faith going, God, what are we going to do? Because it's really bigger and out of our hands. And then God says, I think we'll say yes. We're just worshiping the Lord this week. It's been good. Jenny? Well, I am similar to Carolyn. You know, we both had uh, uh, kids graduate this year, which, you know, 2020, the best year to graduate. No, not at all. It's been such a challenging time. And I brought him on church and interviewed him on Sunday because, you know, I was upset because his name was omitted when they did this virtual graduation, him along with a, a group of other students that they made a mistake on. And I, he just kind of kept saying, you know what, guys, thank you so much for coming here today. This was such a special day. You still made it special because we had family that came in and he had such a good attitude. So I interviewed him at church on Sunday and I said, honey, you know, how do you have such a good attitude when other people could be like your mama was, you know, getting a little upset and other people would get upset of what you didn't have. And he said, well, I focus on what I did have. 
not what I didn't have. I can't change what I don't have necessarily, but I can celebrate what I do have. And so I chose to kind of focus on the family that was there, you know, and the fact that I graduated and I got, you know, my GPA up and I got my uh, grad, you know, I, I got my certificate or my diploma and I, you know, and so I just love that, that idea that we focus on what we do have, not on what we don't have. It really shifts our perspective and how we look at things and how we emotionally. And then he also said, what was the point of getting mad about it? It would make my day better. He said, it would make my day better. It what? Look at this wisdom he has. I know. He said, literally getting mad wouldn't fix the fact that I wasn't mentioned. It wouldn't fix the rest of my day. It would actually ruin the rest of my day and take away from the joy that I did have. So there was no point in being mad. Well, mine was a really small moment, but for after months of being, uh, you know, going through the pregnancy and the end of pregnancy. And we have a separate room where Nina's nursing so she can get up and do, you know, because she just likes to be left alone to do that. We actually got to spend a little bit of, you know, just on the, even on the couch, it was just so nice to be together. We're like, oh, I actually, we remember that we like each other. This is what we like. So that was just a lovely little moment to be spend time with my wife again. <laughs> Go, oh yes, we, this is what we liked, right? I remember that. <laughs> but so that was, I'm very thankful for that manna moment this week. All right, well, let's talk about worry. Cause as we said, mm-hmm. I think it's something that is affecting everyone, mm-hmm. especially in today's day. There's so much to worry about, so much change happening. Of course, we're naturally resistant to change. We, we like what we feel comfortable with, of course. So uh, I, I, my first question I want to ask you guys is, when was a time in your life where you were resistant to change and how did God sort of see you through that? Uh, Jenny. Oh, me first, goody. I just got to be honest, resistant to change for us was God really, when we lived in Israel, um, yeah. we knew that God had put it uh, moving to Israel was not even a big deal. God told us to do it. Brian and I always tell people we had stupid faith. God said, do it. We're like, all right, sold everything, moved there, you know, just trusted God in it, had some hard times. But when we lived there, um, God told us to come back to America and start a church. And we were like, no, you, nah, you're funny. And, um, you know, I, I told me first and then my, my husband actually told God told us both separately, but at the same time. And when we kind of came together about it, when he said that God had spoken to about starting a church, God had put the same thing on my heart. And I literally threw a shoe at him across the room. And he said, honey, I got, I got to be honest with you. I feel like God just just told us to start a church. And because I just heard it, I was like, no, and I threw this shoe because not because I don't, you know, love ministry. I've been, you know, we've been, we had been traveling as evangelists for years. My, My whole life's been ministry. I was preaching, you know, Melody Line Christian Center, 19 years old. So I love that, but I know the burden of pastoring a church and I just didn't want to do it. So I think that's a perfect example of being resistant to change. Yeah. yeah. I, we, we, you know, we even, we came back and we started a Bible study and, you know, we were doing that for a while and we finally were like, okay, we're, this is partial obedience and partial obedience is still disobedience. And we have to, we either can the Bible study altogether or we fully obey God in this. And so we took that step. We jumped off the, the cliff it felt like and said, yes, you know, fully. Yes. But God always has you when you are obedient to take that step. He, he always has you. And you always know that it's just, there were times in your flesh, Hey, we didn't want to do it, but we knew that he wouldn't give us something we couldn't handle. And we love it. We just love our church family. Uh, Carolyn. 
I, I like that, Jenny. I like, I love how honest she is. Don't you? It's like, <laughs> oh, I just love it. Cause that's how we feel sometimes, you know? I mean, I, I feel like we, we can get up and we can minister and we can preach, but then when the reality comes and it hits us and we have to walk out that walk of faith, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like, I feel like a little, little girl sometimes going, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's how you feel. Yeah. But you know, um, yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. I think my whole life I've been through so many things that uh, I need to say it like this, that you pray and you pray and God doesn't answer the prayers the way you think they're supposed to turn out. Um, and it's that moment of surrender. And, you know, I, I think we just even went through some stuff like this, even through the COVID. I think I've shared it before. I mean, um, you know, my husband owns several businesses and 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 one of them you know, when it gets shut down, but I love it because people still want their money, even though you're bringing no money in and it's like, oh my gosh. And so for 80 days, man, I just literally was on my face every day, just fasting. I'm not going to lie. I was fasting and praying. I was seeking God saying, God, change this, change the situation. I believe your word. I mean, I was standing on his word. And then what do you do when his answer is a no? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, that's being resistant to what God wants. We want what we want so much, but it's that moment of surrender that says, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you even when it doesn't make sense to me that when I look back at my life, that everything I thought was going to destroy me led me to a next. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I've really observed in myself is you have to keep surrendering. You yeah. say the initial surrender, yeah. but then that's usually easier for me. And then. Yeah. But then I hit a hardship and I was like, see, I told you it wasn't going to work. And then I throw everything around and I get all upset. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hank, what's your name? <laughs> Jenny, isn't throwing a shoe at somebody disrespectful in certain cultures? <laughs> yes. That's the I first did. thing I thought of when I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I was disrespecting the comment. I didn't want Yeah, it. fair enough. <laughs> That's another show, Hank. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just like, wait a second. In that culture, that might be bad or extra bad. <laughs> Oh man, worry. Um, I think one of the ways I kind of think about this is that like what I've learned in my life is that I'm a fairly laid back person. There's not too much that worries me. So I find that the way God works with my wiring isn't so much, are you worried about this? Because I'm very quick to be like, no, nah, I'm good, you know, but it's more, um, it shifts from that to trust. And what I've learned is like, do you trust me? And I'm like, yeah, I trust you. And he's like, do you trust me now? I'm like, yeah. You trust me now in this. So I kind of feel like that's how him and I communicate. Um, that's how the spirit and I communicate. Um, and and so from that perspective, every big step I've ever made in my life has been those three things. I'm very quick to be like, yeah, I trust God. I'm good, you know, but he's just persistent. Um, I think even right now in this moment that we're in, um, God and I are good. You know, when people talk about racial justice or what's going on in the country, um, I feel like God's telling my spirit, do you trust me? Do you trust me now in this? You know, because historically, and even from my personal experience, I don't know if I trust the Western church is really going to do right by people. You know, we just don't have history on our side. And I, I feel like God's really, really speaking to my heart and say, well, do you trust me? Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I trust you. It's mm -hmm. like, do you trust me now? I'm like, yeah, do you trust me now in this? I was like, oh, okay, fine. I got work to do, you know? So, so I kind of feel like that's one of the ways he speaks to me through whatever season um, I'm in. Well, I'm, I'm a worrier by personality. I like a lot of details. And so when I can't see the details, it's not that fun for me. I think I remember <laughs> as a, as a fourth grader, there was a priest that was going, but yeah, God will, God will give you the path to life. And I said, yeah, but what if we don't hear it? 
And I, and he goes, no, God will help you. And I said, yeah, but what if we miss it? Like I was really like g giving it to him. <laughs> He's like, well, God can make that work too. You know? <laughs> but so all that saying, how on a daily basis do you guys on an ongoing basis, how do you manage anxiety creeping up? You know, cause it's not all we surrender and we're done. Like we said, how do you manage it on an ongoing basis? Uh, Carolyn. For me, my prayer time, my worship time, I, I've got to renew my mind daily. You know, I, I, and I don't tell a lot of people this, but I actually used to suffer from really bad anxiety attacks and um, so much that when we would go up on stage, I mean, it, uh, the only time I wouldn't have anxiety attacks is in front of 20,000 people. It was the oddest thing I've ever seen. Oh, I get that. You know what I'm saying? But when I was off stage, there would be days that I, I literally would wake up in the middle of the night. The room would be spinning. They had to take me off of an airplane one time because my heart was popular. They thought I was having a heart attack. And what I realized is that the battle was up here in our mind. And, you know, I wasn't taking every thought captive. And, you know, we can either blow the situation up and, and we can make the situation bigger than what it is. Or I can bring it back down because my God has never failed me yet. I mean, I, I look back every time that I, I wondered if there was going to be food on our table. There was food. I mean, when we grew up, we were super poor. And every time, man, somebody, we'd get a knock on the door and somebody would say, you know, felt led that we were supposed to bring you this bags of food. And so, you know, I think for myself, I'm just learning the power of my worship, the power of my words. Am I putting my faith in agreement with what God says or am I putting my faith with what I feel and my fear. And if you're not careful, man, those fear thoughts will take over. You really got to take every thought captive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. No uh, Hank. Um, I think another way I've learned that's really, really helpful is years, uh, a few years back, uh, my pastor at the time, our senior pastor, preached a sermon where he basically invited us to wait to worry. And what he meant by that is a lot of times, not only is worry debilitating, um, it paralyzes us, but it's usually already out of our control. You know, it's like, for some of us, it's like, what if this happened and this happened and this happened? What if I'm not ready for this? You know, and it just takes off and gets a life of its own. Um, so one of the ways I manage it is waiting to worry. It doesn't mean not being prepared. It doesn't mean not praying, asking God for help, but it just means that like, if you see yourself running ahead of the actual situation before, quote unquote, the, the shoe, the other shoe drops or the other shoes thrown at you, I guess, in light of our conversation today, um, <laughs> is to just wait, you know, wait to worry. And I think the maybe the last way I have found, too, is when I feel either blood pressure rising mm -hmm. or I feel like it's completely out of my control. Um, I just it's like a note I tell myself. And now it's cool because it's baked into my thinking and DNA. It's just like, take a deep breath. Remember to breathe. And and part of that goes to breath prayers for me. You know, so a lot of times it's like Jesus, 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 help me, help me, help me, help me. Please, 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 please. You know, it's not always the most eloquent. Um, but yeah, I would say wait to worry. Remember to breathe. And in all things, realize that, you know, God's just asking you, do you trust me now in this? And if you're willing to say yes, that baby step could be enough to hopefully move us along. Yeah. Finally, Jenny. It's interesting, Hank, that you said that about breathe. I, I yesterday taught um, not on that subject, but I met, I closed my message uh, about with the Torah portions, which were uh, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I, I mentioned how, you know, the spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, literally means breath or wind. Yeah. And I said, awesome. you know, sometimes it, it's just taking that breath 
of the Holy Spirit and recognizing, you know, that breath of fresh air, you know, and that's where there was the, the mighty rushing wind that came in on the day of Pentecost. And they were worried. They were huddled together in an upper room, not yeah. sure how they were going to yeah. go out and do this. People had already, you know, there's there, you know, they'd seen already uh, resistance to what they were doing in their cause, but that breath came and refreshed them. And I think uh, understanding that times of refreshing that does come from the Holy spirit helps us manage anxieties, remembering to breathe in uh, the presence of the Holy spirit. Um, that happens through worship. I, you know, I love Carolyn saying that I'm a worshiper. So just taking in some breath to worship and using our breath mm. for worship, sitting outside and getting That's fresh right. air. And then for me, if finally it's remembering um, that Jesus told us in the beginning, in this world, you will have tribulation. And I think we've done a disservice to the church by teaching them that when you become a Christian, everything is great. Everything is great. You know, everything is grand. We, we, we got everything going for us and we can do anything. But I think we need to, Mention that in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So don't get freaked out when it comes. Don't get freaked out because I've overcome the world. Mm. You don't mm -hmm. have to succumb to the world's system, the world's way of doing things. You're going to have tribulation, but I've already overcome. So take that breath of the spirit in me and carry on with my strength because I've already overcome the world. That helps me. And, and I love that you just said that because I always say that when we breathe in Christ, that we have to exhale praise. Amen. And it really is true. Oh, when I when you breathe in the so word good. of Christ, you have yeah, got to so praise him. There is times, I'm telling you, I've been driving in down the road in my car. And Jenny, you, you'll get this. That literally, I mean, I'll feel the fear or the worry. You know, the enemy will sit there. And I feel like he plants seeds. All he has to do is plant a seed and yeah. we water it. We take it. All he has to do is say, what do you think about this, Carolyn? And all of a sudden, I start going da, 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 da. But I hear the Holy Spirit go, no, you take the word of God and you begin to worship me and I'll just begin to tell the Lord who he is. I'll remind him, I know who you are. You already know who you are, but I want to remind you that I know who you are, that you are the King of Kings, that you are our supplier, that you are our source. You are our hope. And I mean, I'll get myself. I mean, yeah. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Amen. And that is what we've got to learn how to do. I can't look to an outside source to do that. I've got to encourage myself. And the only way we do that is what you're saying, Jenny, is getting in that word, getting our worship on. I can't ask anybody else to do that for me. I've got to do it for myself. Amen. Well, speaking of getting in the word, we have a special guest today who has a whole lot of words in his book. Seth Dahl is a writer and a worldwide speaker to adults and children. He is known for his powerful wisdom communicated through contagious joy and childlikeness. Seth and Lauren, his wife, love to empower families to build a strong connection that fosters peace and creates a thriving family culture. Seth, Lauren, and their three kids homestead with a large garden and a handful of animals. I can't wait till he tells you about those on a small farm in Texas. Welcome, Seth, to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Good to be here. Hey, Seth. And like I started to say, he's written a new book. It's called Curing Worry God's Way, right? Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I read the, I, I read it. It's guys, I do, I don't, I'm not a big reader, but this is a really good book to get through. It's like I said, full of biblical wisdom, but it's really easy to get through. It's got a great format, short chapters, really great action items. I'll let him talk more on that, but I'm really encouraged that even, even the not readers can get through this and really get a lot out of it. So I'll start with that. I wanted to start by asking you, tell me, tell us about yourself and tell us about the inspiration about writing this book. 
Well, yeah, we do live on a small farm. Um, I obviously need to update my bio because we don't have a garden yet. We just moved here six months ago and we <laughs> are a wish. <laughs> we're about to plant another one because we've had huge gardens before, but we have two horses, one cow, two dogs, one cat, a barn cat, and 13 chickens plus three children. Oh, wow. So we got a handful. Yay. I want chickens. My husband yeah. just agreed to let me have them. Finally, four years of fighting about it. We have one chicken that always comes up to us and wants the children to pick her up and toss her. Yeah. <laughs> we love them and the eggs. So tell us about what made you write the book. Yeah. So I, uh, my wife and I, a little over a year and a half ago, we were, God told us, we lived in Southern California, just outside LA, and God told us to move from our house, and it was immediately following the Wolsey fire, so 10 homes on our street burned down. People all over are trying to find homes, trying to find rentals, and God told us, move out of your house, go find a new one, and so we're kind of like, this is not the best time to buy or to rent. We were going to rent this house, so not the best time to rent. Uh, and because all the landlords knew that um, insurance companies were going to be paying rent for the next two years, mm -hmm. all the prices were really high. So we we found a house we really wanted. We felt like the Lord was showing us that house, giving that house to us. And so we, you know, we did the application and everything and it's getting closer and closer. And they'd already told us like, Hey, you, uh, you're in with three other families. We're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then it comes down to it. I get the rent. I get the truck. We load everything up. We've actually moved out of the house and we still haven't found out what we're doing, what, where we're going to stay. So our choices are quickly becoming either they call us and we got the house or we're going to, we have to go get a storage unit, unload everything in the storage unit, get an Airbnb and figure it out start over so to speak so you know we've already moved out and we have nowhere to go we stayed at a friend's house one night um we parked the truck at our other friend's house we got to leave our animals at another friend's house so you know the next day though it was coming down to the point where basically i had to return the truck and i had to make a decision what are we going to do are we gonna are, are we able to move into this house did we get it or not we're going to have to get a storage unit. And I just started not doing well. Like normally I'm really good with this stuff. Like Hank was saying, like normally I'm really chill. I'm really good. Um, I sort of joke about it. Like I used to be on drugs many, many years ago, like 20 years ago, I was a drug addict. And so I joke, I'm like, you know, back then I had a really good reason to not be very mentally healthy and to, to live in fear and to live in worry and live in paranoia and because of the drugs. And ever since then I've done really, really well. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm not doing well to the point where I looked at my wife and I said, I, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm not doing good. You may need to check me into a hospital. Like I'm about to, I feel like my brain's about to snap. Yeah. I'm not doing well. And it was so out of the ordinary for me. Like normally I've just been really good. And so she's like, look, let's just go eat lunch. So we eat lunch. And we're sitting there and it's literally like, I think Caroline, Carolyn said it the 11th hour. I'm like, it was literally 1159. We are, we have a few minutes left before we have to go get a storage unit and return the moving truck. And so I'm sitting there trying to eat, can't really eat. And 
my friend texts me and she says, Hey, I just felt something shift in the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to get that house mm-hmm. and I'm going to start making declarations. And my friends who helped us move, they were like, Hey, how's it going? And I said, nothing yet. They're like, we're going to pray. We're going to make declarations. So all of a sudden I started to just like, okay, I got people on my side here. This is good. And I, I think I came to this point. I said it in the book. I came to this point where I surrendered, like someone else said too. Um, I surrendered my need to understand, like, God, I don't understand why you're not coming through. I don't understand why we don't have the house yet. I don't understand, you know, I don't want my kids to get out of school today and be like, hey, guys, we have a storage unit for a house. Like, <clears throat> I I didn't understand what was going on, but I, I kind of just gave into that and surrendered my need to understand. And all of a sudden I had peace again. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got peace, we got the email. I checked it. We went and got the money, the cashier's check, and boom, we went and got the house and unloaded and the house. And like, oh, well, since then, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to study worry because that was horrible. That was rough. That was a rough <laughs> couple days. I need to get in the word and not just be able to talk about it, but live it. I need to really get in here deeper. I need to see what worry is according to God's eyes. And I need to see what he says about it. And I need to see what he's given us to actually live without worry. And so, you know, the first verse in the book that I use is where Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he's like, hey, do not worry about anything. And the Lord just told me, he's like, you know, I said that because it's actually possible to live a life where you don't worry about anything. Like, oh, okay. Like, you're saying it because it's possible. So I spent... Yeah, I just spent the le- next year working on that. And so that's kind of where the book came out of. Well, okay. I think your book is so like the perfect time that it's coming out. I actually yeah. read it today. It's so wow. easy. I had four kids in my house or five wow. and it was just so easy. I could not stop. It was like, yes, yes. And it's yeah. it's um, it's doable. You read that book and it inspires you. But in the book, you you talked about worry being one of the element, elements of Christian life. So you called it a stronghold. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think you gave three questions or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think for the believer, worry has become so common that we think it's normal. And it's absolutely the furthest thing from normal for a believer because we have the prince of peace living inside us we have we've been made one spirit with him we've become partakers of the divine nature we are you know we were crucified with christ we no longer live but he lives in us i'm like oh my gosh worry should be the furthest thing from us but we've adopted this mentality that it's normal but it's not just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal and it shouldn't be normal for us and so you know i I, I address that in the book. I ask these questions. Um, should we worry out loud as much as we do? And I put mm-hmm. in little brackets, pray. Because I think a lot of times we think we're praying and we're just worrying out loud to God. We're not actually praying. And so that's one of my questions. Um, but should we worry out loud as much as we do? Should we show our love for people by our worry. I think that's a lot of times what we do as well. Mm-hmm. Like, If I'm not worrying about you, it must mean I don't care about you. And that's not true either. It, it could mean, you know, like Hank was saying, like if I'm not worried about you or your situation, it probably also could mean I'm trusting God about your situation. 
Mm -hmm. I'm not showing you I care for you by how much I worry about you. I'm actually showing you how much I trust God and how much I love you and how much I, I, I know he's going to take care of you by refusing to worry. That's great. And then the last question is, should worry be normal in our lives? And I already said that, like, I don't think it should be. So you give us the, the questions that kind of formed this framework. And I love that you keep kind of making stronger and stronger statements. So whereas the questions are almost like suggestions, you know, um, you talk about how worry is a sin. Um, can you explain why you say that? Yeah, I heard a pastor say it a long time ago. And, you know, just something about worry is a symptom of fear. And so perfect love casts out fear. That means if I'm living in fear, if I even have a symptom of fear, mm -hmm. then I'm not aware of the love of God, the perfect love of God. Because if I was aware of the perfect love of God, it would remove all the worry, all the fear from my life. It would remove every symptom of fear. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. love, the, the love of God, you know, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the gospel in its essence is mm -hmm. putting the love of God on display through the cross of Jesus. And so if I'm living in worry, a symptom of fear, I'm not aware of the love of God, which really means I've lost sight of the cross of Jesus. So I've, I've allowed fear to push the gospel completely out of my life. And so if I'm living in unbelief in the, of the gospel, I'm living in sin. If I'm living in fear, Instead of love, I'm living in sin because I've totally resisted the gospel, mm. the cross, the love demonstrated for me, and I've allowed something else to come in. And so that's that's my take on the whole like, yeah, worry is is a symptom of an agreement with mm. a kingdom that is mm. not God's kingdom. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Worry is a symptom of an agreement. Say that again for all of us. I think Wor worry is a symptom of an agreement or a sign that we have an agreement with the kingdom that's not God's. Wow. Mm. That's so good. Ooh. Can I say something? Wonderful? Yeah. yeah. I forgot to address the stronghold thing. You know, I heard Mike, I think it was Mike Bickle from IHOP a long time ago, many, many years ago. He said, um, strongholds can be defined as habit structures of thought habits of thinking mm. and so we build strongholds that are actually allow fear allow the demonic to keep a safe place in our lives and they shouldn't have any safe place in our lives they shouldn't have any kind of um structure built just for them in our lives at all and so um the habits the habitual thoughts that we think are actually forming structures and they're either going to house and make a safe space uh, a fortress for the demonic or for for god's kingdom for the angels for the holy spirit and you know david said hey the lord is my stronghold i'm like wow the lord is has a safe place in your life a fortress in your life because of the thoughts you've habitually thought you've actually built your life to be a place where god can can freely roam and freely live all because of the habits of thought and so you know, we, we focus a lot on negative strongholds. Like mm -hmm. every time we worry, we're adding a brick to that stronghold. But every time we we, we think like God, we're, we're ripping down those yeah. and we're building up a stronghold where God is home to. So mm. when you talk about adding the bricks and, you know, th th I think that that whole 
thing you just said is such a perfect springboard to what I'd love to ask you, which is about making worry an idol. Uh, you mentioned that in the book, you know, and I think about that building the bricks. It's like we're building on the opposite side. Wow. If we're not, yeah. you know, tapping into God's thoughts, we're building an idol out of our worry. You say in the yeah. book, anything we need to check uh, with before saying yes to God. I explain that definition yeah. and, and how you kind of take that into how, you know, worry is actually supposed to be a signal for something else. I said an idol is anything we have to check with before mm. we say yes to God. So wow. simple example, if I have to check my bank account before I say yes to God, then my money is an idol. I love that you said that, that you have to check your bank account. And yeah. that, you made an idol out of that bank account. You got to check yeah. with, you know, into anything. If I'm worried about money, God, you know, for us, it's like God told us to move to Austin six months ago. So we moved like, wow, that's really expensive again, God. And we're growing <laughs> all our savings again, God. And we're, but we're saying yes, but it's like, oh, if we checked with our, if we were worried about money to the mm. point where we couldn't say yes to God, then that's how we recognize the worry actually yeah. represents you have an idol. You've got your heart aimed in a different direction. You've got a different Lord in place, mm. a different something in the God spot because you're unable to say yes. Yeah. because you're So worried about something else. So that's, that's my, you know, like, I don't, I don't mean necessarily that worry is the idol, but worry is how we recognize whether or not right. and be right. how we recognize we have an idol. Like, oh, yeah. I'm so worried about money. I can't move right now. I'm too worried. Well, yeah. but God told us to move. God told us to leave Israel. God told mm -hmm. us to leave LA. God told us to go here. God told, like, no, 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 I can't do that because mm -hmm. I'm too worried about what it's going to cost me. Like, oh, my comfort. My finances, all of that can become the idol for the Lord. Well, and I'm so glad you bring up about idols because I think you talk about in the book that, you know, we can't serve two masters. Yeah. And and that's really what you're talking about. We either are going to choose to serve God yeah. and to trust him that, hey, he's got it all under control, even when it doesn't make sense, or we're going to choose to serve what is the world's and the world's yeah. way and how they have it worked out, which means it's all about us. Yeah. But I love it. My husband just finished doing um, a whole thing about abiding in Christ, about really knowing the Lord. And, and you talk about that in the book, you describe between knowing the Lord versus being known by the Lord, almost abiding in him. And just, yeah. if you could talk about the role of humility and honesty, because I think to know whether if it's an idol, you've got to be willing to be honest with yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, this feels like that is a huge question. Um, the first part about um, the Lord knowing us, it comes from Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. It's the place, this is one of the scariest passages in the Bible for me. Like there's a few really scary ones. This one to me is like, oh gosh. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So I'm reading this. I'm like, okay. In Matthew 10, he tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So it's like prophesying, casting out demons, performing miracles. That is God's will. But there's more to God's will than just that. And he's and if you read this, it's like they're calling him Lord. So these people are like, you know, Paul says, if you believe in your heart that, that 
God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. So like these people are calling him Lord. They're bringing heaven to earth. They're casting out devils. They're doing all this amazing stuff. Obviously, these people know who Jesus is. They know Jesus is the deliverer. He's the healer. He's the miracle worker. He's, you know, like he's the Lord. They know all about him, but he's saying, I don't actually know you. Wow. I don't know you. You, you know me. I don't know you. You, I've, I've allowed you to, into my world, into my heart, into my life. And, and so much so that you're bringing heaven into earth, but you're not letting me into here. You know, Jesus said in Revelation 3, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and him with me. And the next verse says, to him who overcomes. I'm like, oh my gosh, the ultimate victory, the ultimate overcoming is hearing Jesus knock and letting him in. You know, it's like, so for me, this is really scary. It's like, wow, it's, it's possible to know God and not let him know us. And he's, he's wanting more from our relationship than us just knowing about him and doing the stuff. Think about Adam and Eve. It's like the first time they ever worried about anything. You know, they didn't have a worry in the world. And all of a sudden the devil shows up, they eat the fruit. And now they're worried. They hear God showing up in the garden to just like he did every single day. He's always done this. This is all they know. But now they're afraid. Now they're hiding. Now they're covering themselves. Now they don't want God to see them. They don't want God to know where they are. And he's like, hey, where are you, Adam? And he's he's trying to find them. But it's like, oh, what was the result of them being worried about What's going to happen if God sees me like this? What's going to happen now that I ate the fruit? What's God going to do? How's this going to turn out? Oh, no, we're in trouble. So they go hide. What are they doing? They're, pre they're preventing intimacy with God. They're covering themselves, hiding themselves from the presence of God. And so worry actually causes us to do that same thing, to actually protect mm -hmm. ourselves from being open honest, vulnerable with God. And from this passage, we see it's like, wow, he, he really cares about it. I think that leads uh, to an interesting subject that you deal with in the book, which is about religiosity. And, you know, you talked about the Pharisee standing there and saying, oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this man and how yeah. that the religiosity can really prevent that relationship, that intimacy with God, that, um, you know, even trying to be religious and doing everything right, we get so focused, obviously, on that. And that that preventing that relationship with God was what eventually leads us to worry. Yeah. So really talking about that religious spirit, how that yeah. leads to that. The religious spirit is a horrible, horrible thing. Um, the first place we see it in the Bible is with Adam and Eve. So here's what we here's what they here's what the devil told. He didn't just introduce sin or death or disease or fear, he he introduced religion at the same time, all at the same time. So he said, hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. But right before that, they were already made in the image of God. So the temptation wasn't just to eat fruit. The temptation was do something to get what you already have. Do something to become who you already are. Do something to earn what's already yours. And so that's where religion really entered the world. They're like, if I eat this, I'll become like God, not remembering I'm already made in his image. I'm his image bearer. I'm his representative. 
here on the earth. And so um, worry is a, it can reveal to us like, oh, we're, we're being actually religious right now. We're not being in relationship. We're being religious because we're worried, you know, if we're worried about God providing for us, it's like, I'm worried about something that you've promised. I'm worried about something you've, you've done over and over. Like I think Carolyn said, God's never not come through for me. He's never not. When I look back. Yeah. And so worry actually tries to get us to try to earn things that God's already promised. God's already said yes to. God's already, already given us. Or it causes us to put on a show to pretend like everything's good, to pretend like everything's fine and dandy instead of being like, hey, Lord, I'm actually not doing well. Um, I'm not doing good here. I need to be honest with you. I need to be open with you. Religiosity would go pretend like everything's good, perform like everything's good. Yeah. And, and in that performance, you're actually trying to earn something that he's already said was yours. Mm. That's mm. beautiful. That's most of us here all have kids and I myself have three kids and we sort of live by that attitude that uh, do as I say and not as I do because, you know, some of us have worry. We deal with stress, but we don't want our kids to catch that. And, you know, I always say it's caught, not taught. We teach them how to not walk in fear, not walk in worry uh, so much more by what we do than what we say. And so I know that you have a lot of resources out there for raising children and even a Facebook group. And I would just love for you to tell us more about that so we can be involved. The Facebook group, it's called Spirit Led Parenting. And then my name, Seth Dahl, Spirit-Led Parenting. So that's the Facebook group. We're just about to get going. Like it's actually, we're trying to put the questions in that people have to answer to join the group. It's totally free and all that. But we were, so you can check it out, but we're, we're starting to put those questions in. Yeah, Spirit-Led Parenting, Seth Dahl. I also have a book, Win-Win Parenting, um, that we're changing to Win-Win Families. But right now it's Win-Win Parenting. Uh, I have a book called God is Really Good that's very much addresses worry in children. Um, I have another book coming out in December called Spirit or How, Raising Spirit-Led Kids. And so that's where the group comes from as well as from that upcoming book. But yeah, I got tons of resources, but that Facebook group is going to be really active very soon. And we're going to be doing a lot of stuff, just helping parents. Another thing I was going to say as you were talking, Carolyn was like, you know, one of the ultimate secrets mm. to raising kids who are filled with hope. So biblical hope is the confident expectation of good things from God. So worry oh. actually can cut off hope because it's like, I wonder if something bad is going to happen. I'm worried about something bad happening. I'm worried about whether or not the good thing that God promised is actually going to come is actually going to go on. So like worry actually cuts off hope because hope is I am confident in my expectation that God is going to do something good in the middle of this. Mm. I'm so confident and yeah. that's what hope is. And so, um, and hopelessness too is like, I'm absolutely confident that something bad is going to happen. That's, that's hopelessness and worry can be the deciding factor of which direction we go. But one of the keys to helping our kids live with hope and defeat that worry is to tell them stories from our own lives. So um, yeah, like, when our kids are struggling with something, I'm like, you know what, guys, let me tell you a story about when I didn't have money to pay our bills. Mm -hmm. And, and here's what happened. But I tell them the story of when I didn't have enough money, but how God came through and brought me out. So our kids are looking 
from a five-year-old, six-year-old, whatever, 10, 12, 15-year-old perspective. And they're looking at us going like, oh, you've been in a place without money before and God came through. Yeah. And now I see where you're at. I see you on the other side of that problem. Because right now, if you don't tell me the story, I only see where you're at now. I don't see how you actually got there. Or it's like, hey, I'm having trouble at school. You're like, oh, man, let me tell you about when the kids used to make fun of me and mess with me because I was the smallest kid, too. And and my voice and da, da, da. And they used to mess with me so bad. And then your kids are all of a sudden like, wow, you've been where I am at. You understand me. You feel exactly what I'm feeling. You've come out of this. God helped you through this. You're doing okay now. You're fine now. And what does that do? It instills hope in them and it crushes that worry in their lives. Our goal would be as parents is like, I want you to learn how to not worry and live in hope way sooner than I learned. What I love, I love so much about the book. I love there's so many more action steps, so many tools that you can use against worry. But I, we, I really want you to take away today is worry, as Seth says in his book, book is a signal that you need to pray because it's a symptom of something that could, could be shifting your focus away from God. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want those strongholds to build up inside of your life. So we hope that this show is just the beginning for that strongholds to be broken down and buy the book, Curing Worry, God's Way by Seth Dahl. And you can you can keep reviewing it all the time. So you keep your mind renewed, like we said, every day. Yeah. Thank you again, Seth, for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Good oh, to thanks so much. Yeah, this is wonderful. Hang and on. we'll see all you out there next time on The Full Life. Worry-free. Worry-free. <laughs> hey, all Full Life viewers, we really hope you enjoyed that episode with Seth Dahl. I think he's got some great insights, and I look forward to that, helping you through your everyday life and all the worries we have in this day and age. We did want to take a moment, though, to reach out to all those that may be battling chronic conditions, depression, and other really big struggles in their life. We want to tell you that it is okay to ask for help. Reach out. Reach out to your church. Reach out to spiritual advisors. Reach out to loved ones in your community. Reach out to medical professionals. Or reach out to a hotline. You should not do this alone. You don't have to do it alone. Everyone has value. We believe that firmly on the show. And we would reach out to you if we could ourselves. But please, reach out. Because God loves you and we love you too.